Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, in Oregon, KYAQ, Central Coast, Queso Cottage Grove, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WTPA, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio, WGRN, Palinville, New York, WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan, WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff, Redding, California, KFOI, Round Mountain, California, KKRN, Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950, KTNF, and coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing the Globe, five days a week, as usually hosted by Brad Friedman of BradBlog.com. But today, Brad and Desi are on the road. I'm sitting in Angie Coiro, the host of In Deep with Angie Coiro, heard on many of these same stations and streams. I may sound a little more celebratory than some of you, but I see the light at the end of the tunnel. We had a partial victory today. We've got to celebrate the victories when we can. Yes, even though they're mixed. Let me say one thing right up front before we get into the meat of the Kavanaugh hearing. I address myself to anyone in Brad and Desi's audience and anyone you care to share this with who has been touched by assault, by rape, by sexual harassment and predation. We know you're out there. I know you're out there. I can only begin to imagine what this week has done to you, even if you didn't watch the hearings. It's permeated the culture, permeated the society all week long, and so much of it is negative. So much of it is dismissive to real victims. I think we heard from a real victim this week, and it wasn't the shouting angry man. Later this hour, I'm going to talk to a trauma recovery specialist about what she and her staff and their clients have endured this week about those messages that permeated the society and how best we can all deal with that, be we survivors or supporters, okay? So stick around for that. It's later this hour. And I apologize in advance for anything that triggers you between now and then, okay? Let's say we won. We may have won in increments. We may not yet know the full measure of our win. Although me, I'm bold. I'll go right up there on the cliff and say, I have an idea how it's going to work. And I think it's going to be good. We should have won bigger. And the opposition could, in a pipe dream of sorts, behaved honorably. That wasn't going to happen. So no big shock. But we did win. There will be a procedural vote on the confirmation of accused sexual predator Brett Kavanaugh this weekend. But... Red Senator Jeff Flake had either a surge of conscience or a sudden vision of his place in history or some blend of the two. And even though he voted to confirm Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, ultimately, his yes vote was pandering to his side of the aisle. His real effect was to call for an FBI investigation over this following week before a final call is taken. Weathercock Lisa Murkowski sniffed out the safest path and followed his lead. Yeah, counterintuitive though it may be, I saw some very positive things even earlier in the day in this truly shambolic process that has now pushed Kavanaugh one step closer to that Supreme Court seat. 
that he so thoroughly does not deserve. There were upsides peeking through even earlier on. I'm going to play some selections from the statements made before the vote today, and the confirmation vote itself is appalling. All it really shows us, and this is what will go down in history, is that Republicans outnumbered Democrats in number and in paucity of soul. But we already saw that yesterday. Here's where I see something to cheer for. Something that finally brought out strength and plain spokenness in Democrats that they so frequently opt out of. Again and again, we heard a recounting of simple facts. But more than that, we heard the Democrats call the Repubs on their complete and utter bull. After so many years, decades of cowing and bowing and touching their caps with buy your leave, sir, the Democrats on the panel took their seats and a stand. They recounted facts. They specified timelines. Here we heard sane refutation of idiocy. There, we saw a blow-up of the calendar that allegedly cleared Kavanaugh, instead annotated clearly to cast doubt on his tale. Only the Dems gave the Bar Association letter its full due in its call for an FBI investigation into Kavanaugh's full-time party boy days. And that is after Chief Charlatan Lindsey Graham called the ABA's earlier recommendation the gold standard changed his mind overnight, he did, once his boy was no longer golden. And I'll tell you something else that shines a sliver of hope. Jeff Flake's face, along with his conversion. The Republican senator got a true reality check when he announced he was a yes vote. That in the face of this traumatized, abused, clearly honest woman's testimony of her ravaging he was willing to put the alleged abuser on the highest court in the land. This is audio from the CBC. From the moment assault survivors confronted him, he got on an elevator. They were not going to let him get away. They did not let the doors close, and they had their say. Senator, why did you vote, why did you vote yes, Senator? Tell us why Senator. you changed your mind. Senator... But why did, why did you vote yes? I understand that you said just on Monday. On Monday, I stood in front of your truth. What you are doing is allowing someone who actually violated a woman to sit in the Supreme Court. This is not tolerable. You have children in your family. Think about them. I have two children. I cannot imagine that for the next 50 years, they will have to have someone in the Supreme Court who has been accused of violating a young girl. What are you doing, sir? I was sexually assaulted and nobody believed me. I didn't tell anyone, and you're telling all women that they don't matter, that they should just stay quiet because if they tell you what happened to them, you're going to ignore them. That's what happened to me, and that's what you're telling all women in America, that they don't matter. They should just keep it to themselves, because if they have told the truth, they're just going to help that man to power anyway. That's what you're telling all of these women. That's what you're telling me right now. Look at me when I'm talking to you. You're telling
telling me that my assault doesn't matter, that what happened to me doesn't matter, and that you're gonna let people who do these things into power. That's what you're telling me when you vote for him. Don't look away from me. Look at me and tell me that it doesn't matter what happened to me, that you'll let people like that go into the highest court of the land and tell everyone what they can do to their bodies. Do you have an answer, Senator? Senator Clay, do you think that Brett Kavanaugh is telling the truth? Do you think that he's able to hold the pain of this country and repair it? That is the work of justice. The way that justice works is you recognize harm, you take responsibility for it, and then you begin to repair it. You're allowing someone who is unwilling to take responsibility for his own actions, unwilling to hold the harm that he has done to one woman, actually three women and 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 repair it you are allowing someone who is unwilling Senator, to take responsibility to, for his own actions to sit in the higher court of the country and to and to have the role of repairing the harm that has been done in this country to many people no no thank you what do you think you have to talk to him don't talk to respond what do you think? I understand, but tell me I'm standing right here in front of you. What do you have? Do you think that he's telling the truth? Do, no. Do you think that he's telling the truth to the country? You have power when so many women are powerless. Can you not give them an answer, Senator? You just released a press statement. You don't have the courage to give them an answer? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you is not an answer, Senator. Thank you. Saying thank you is not an answer. This is about the future of our country, sir. You can be a hero today. Lifetime appointment in the Supreme Court. That's fine. Find security. Be a hero. Senator, you why can be now? a hero and why now? Why not wait? Why not wait? Why not wait for the investigation? There's no harm. How can you be speechless? What's the we demand to know what you're thinking. Do you stand with women? Do you stand with this nation who deserves due process? In addition to that momentous and touching moment. And now the dominoes are falling. A former classmate of Kavanaugh's at Yale, Lynn Brooks, the roommate of the woman who said Kavanaugh exposed himself to her at a party. Chris Cuomo at CNN said Brooks declined at first to join him on the air. But then, like so many other women, she watched Thursday's hearing and had a change of heart. If you want to listen to that segment, you'll find it on the CNN website. Her memories range from the mild to the devastating. Look on the CNN website for Lynn Brooks. The dean of Yale Law, Kavanaugh's now red-faced alma mater, has joined the call for an FBI investigation. Not long after the Senate closed the hearing for the day, the elusive Mark Judge, the elusive Mark Judge agreed to cooperate with the FBI. Just keeps getting better, doesn't it? Bringing up the rear... Donald Trump conceded defeat and agreed an investigation should proceed. Opens up all kinds of possibilities, doesn't it? A photo from Aaron Schaff at the New York Times captured this man clearly wrestling with himself. You should have seen his face. He was wrestling either over his own place in history 
or over a place to hide in or in honest confrontation with his conscience, it is a priceless picture. A blur of bodies and cameras in the foreground, all the cameras pointed away from him. But the focus is on his face. For that moment, he is alone with whatever is going on in his mind. And he is anguished. Anguished. Now, I would like to think that in this small way, the process worked. That a combination of Dems refusing to be complicit and victims refusing to be shut out worked on this man until he couldn't deny what was in his face any longer. Point of personal privilege, I would call on Senator Flake. Oh, thank you. Um, I uh, have been speaking with a number of people on the other side. We've had conversations ongoing for a while uh, with regard to um, making sure that we do due diligence here. And I think it would be uh, proper to delay the floor vote uh, for up to but not more than one week uh, in order to let the FBI um, continue uh, to do an investigation limited in time and scope uh, to the current allegations that are there and uh, limited in time to no more than one week. And I, I will vote to advance the bill uh, to the floor with that understanding. And I, I've spoken to a few other members uh, um, who are uh, on my side of the aisle that may be supportive as well. But that's my position. I, I think that, uh, that we, we ought to do what we can to make sure that, uh, that we do all due diligence with a nomination this important. And I want to say that this committee has acted properly and uh, the chairman has been over backwards uh, to do investigations from this committee and to delay this vote in this committee for a week so that Judge, or that, uh, that Ms. Ford, Dr. Ford could be heard, and she was yesterday. Uh, so, so that's with that agreement, uh, I will vote to advance the bill to the floor. The result confused his co-panelists completely, understandably, because he was busy voting for the nominee, assuaging his fellow GOPers, and weighing in in favor of an FBI investigation. So listen to the confusion. Uh, uh, call roll. Just, wait just one second. Can, can Diane speak? Could we have a description? Yeah, what are we voting on? That's a... We are voting on the motion to report the nomination to the floor. The clerk will call the roll. Uh, wait, that's not my understanding of what Mr. Chairman, let the senator explain it. Uh, he had... That is my, under, my, my understanding, and if the Democrats can speak to it, if Chris or, or you, as no. we talked about before, that the Democrats would accept and endorse a, a one-week uh, FBI investigation limited in time and scope. Well, that is correct. Since you're the deciding vote here, we'll vote, and then if there's any sort of discussion, we'll go do that after the vote. Call the roll. Mr. Hatch. Aye. Mr. Graham. Aye. Mr. Cornett. Aye. Mr. Lee. Aye. Again, this was a shameful vote, but in fact, a win. Aye. Coming up next, we're going to hear two eloquent testimonies that helped bring us to this point. I'm Angie Cuero. This is the broadcast. No. Mr. Leahy. On the nominee, no. Mr. Durbin. No.
Hey, this is Brad. The Bradcast survives thanks to you and your support. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to help us continue to do over your public airwaves what we try to do five days a week. That's bradblog.com donate, and thank you. It's the broadcast. I'm Angie Quero. At one point today, the proceedings in the Kavanaugh hearing were so egregiously unbalanced, so clearly unfair, that Senators Booker and Harris just refused to play the game anymore. They not only sat silently through one of the votes, but they got up and left, and their teams trailed out behind them. But Booker was one of the many Democrats who did step up to the plate. Now, he larded his comments with praise for partisan hack Senator Grassley, but he did go on to make critical points. Dianne Feinstein did the same. In fact, let's hear from her first. I'm very disappointed that we're here today voting on this nomination, especially in light of the testimony that we heard just yesterday. My Republican colleagues spent their time at the hearing focused exclusively on policy and on partisanship and process. The majority argued that the sexual assault Dr. Ford experienced was nothing more than a Democratic smear campaign that I am allegedly orchestrating. My staff and I were accused of leaking Dr. Ford's letter, which we did not. We were accused of leaking Deborah Maris's letter, which we did not. We were said to have refused to participate in the partisan, quote, investigation, end quote. Yet it is the Republicans who have refused to talk to Debbie Ramirez or Julie Swetnick. Republicans also failed to mention Democrats were not notified and had no idea the chairman staff had been communicating with Mark Judge, Patrick Smith, Leland Kaiser, and apparently at least two other individuals who have not been named. Instead, Democrats learned about this outreach when various letters or emails appeared in the press. And in one case, we learned about the Republican staff outreach at 10 p.m. the night before the hearing. Ironically, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle have gone so far as to say this whole situation was nothing more than a nefarious attempt at political theater. I understand why they did that. The Senate is a political body. However, I was shocked to see Judge Kavanaugh take the same tone and strategy. Candidly, in the 25 years on this committee, I have never seen a nominee for any position behave in that manner. Judge Kavanaugh used as much political rhetoric as my Republican colleagues, and what's more, he went on the attack. He yelled at Democrats for having the temerity to express our frustration for not having access to over 90% of his record, and said that some Democratic members were, quote, an embarrassment, end quote. He'd accused Democrats of, quote, lying in wait, end quote, and replacing, quote, advice and consent with search and destroy, end quote. He even went so far as to say that Dr. Ford's allegations were nothing more than, quote, a calculated, an orchestrated political hit, fueled with apparent pent-up anger 
about President Trump and the 2018 election, end quote. And, quote, revenge on behalf of the Clintons, end quote. Unbelievable. This was not someone who reflected an impartial temperament or the fairness and even-handedness one would see in a judge. This was someone who was aggressive and belligerent. I have never seen someone who wants to be elevated to the highest court in our country behave in that manner. In stark contrast, the person who testified yesterday and demonstrated a balanced temperament was Dr. Ford. She gave powerful testimony about her experience of being physically and sexually assaulted by Brett Kavanaugh. She started by saying how she was terrified to be before the committee, but she felt it was her civic duty to tell us what happened to her. She recounted her experience, and I quote, I tried to yell for help. When I did, Brett put his hand over my mouth to stop me from yelling. This is what terrified me the most and has had the most lasting impact on my life. It was hard for me to breathe, and I thought that Brett was accidentally going to kill me, end quote. Both Brett and Mark were drunkenly laughing during the attack. They seemed to be having a very good time, end quote. Well, end quote. Another quote, Brett's assault on me drastically altered my life. For a very long time, I was too afraid and ashamed to tell anyone these details. I didn't want to tell my parents that I, at age 15, was in a house without any parents present, drinking beer with boys. I convinced myself that because Brett did not rape me, I should just move on and pretend that it didn't happen, end quote. She was poised, she was credible, and she should be believed. Unfortunately, despite assuring Dr. Ford, her allegations would be taken seriously and she would be treated respectfully. That is not what ultimately happened. As I noted in my statement yesterday, our colleagues on the other side of the aisle had their minds made up before one word was uttered. A week ago, the majority leader declared, quote, in the near future, Judge Kavanaugh will be on the United States Supreme Court. So, my friends, keep the faith. Don't get rattled by all this. We're going to plow right through it, end quote. This was not about ensuring a fair process. This was about doing the bare minimum. And finally, to my Republican colleagues who are so upset about the time that has passed, let's be clear. Dr. Ford asked for confidentiality, and that's what I did. We all know that if I had referred her allegations to the FBI, when she would not come forward, there would have been nothing to do. The FBI would have had an anonymous allegation with no name, no contact information, and no way to follow up. In addition, Dr. Ford's allegations were referred to the FBI on September 12th, over two weeks ago. If the President and the Republican majority had asked for the FBI to do an investigation at that time, like we asked, it would likely be finished by now. And most importantly, when Judge Kavanaugh has talked to Republicans repeatedly, none of us have spoken to or questioned Mark Judge, 
Patrick Smith, Leland Kaiser, or the polygraph examiner. None of us have talked to or questioned James Roach, Lynn Brooks, Liz Swisher, Tom Kane, or Chris Dudley. Not one senator, as far as I know, has had the opportunity from opportunity to or question Deborah Ramirez or Julie Swetnick. My colleagues are right that we should not rush the judgment, and it's not fair to assume Judge Kavanaugh is guilty without gathering the information. But it's equally unfair to have heard from a credible, poised, and brave witness and simply ignore what we heard and move forward immediately. I don't know Deborah Ramirez. I don't know whether her allegations are credible. I don't know Judy Swetnick. I don't know whether her allegations are credible. But I do know this. Dr. Ford provided credible, powerful testimony that deserves to be considered and not dismissed as a partisan smear campaign, which it was not. In my opening statement yesterday, I talked about the differences between Me Too and the Year of the Woman, and I highlighted the seriousness of sexual assault and harassment. I started out by saying, I hoped we would do better and show women that our country, our committee, has in fact changed. This isn't a political battle for power, as some have said. This is a serious undertaking with serious allegations. While the Republican strategy is no longer attack the victim, it is ignore the victim. The entire country is watching now how we handle these serious allegations. It is, in fact, a real test for the United States Senate and for our country to see how we treat women, especially women who are survivors of sexual assault. I believe we can do better, and I hope we are better. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to submit for the record a longer statement that addresses some of the attacks regarding my office's handling of Dr. Ford's allegations and the Republican administration. Obviously, uh, with, obviously without objection, those will be included. Before I call on Senator Hatch, since uh, this keeps coming up about the FBI investigation, uh, I'd like to repeat what you've heard from me so many times, but I guess we never get this, uh, get people understanding. Uh, we, we're, we're, we can't learn anything from the FBI that we can't learn ourselves. The Senate has our own constitutional duty and our own investigators to follow up on these allegations. Uh, I'm not, uh, I don't think we should discredit the sentence. Constitutional duty of oversight is a co-equal independent branch of government. Uh, if uh, the people on the other side of the aisle sincerely want an FBI investigation, uh, I would ask uh, why uh, uh, they did not notify me of Dr. Ford's uh, then confidential letter uh, way back in July, so the FBI could weigh in. The FBI would honor confidentiality, and so would I. And uh, I've had 38 years reputation of protecting 
constitutionality or uh, confidentiality of uh, whistleblowers, uh, uh, another span of time for an FBI investigation as, uh, as my Democrat colleagues have called for, or even more recently people outside calling for, would result in uh, another time of brutal attacks on Dr. Ford and uh, Judge Kavanaugh and their families. Uh, they don't deserve those sorts of vile threats uh, that they're receiving, and it's unacceptable. Uh, Dr. Ford has stated no objections to an FBI investigation, so why has the need for an FBI investigation only come uh, to our attention here in the last uh, several days, probably less than two weeks? Uh, it's been 60 days since Dr. Ford's uh, letter was... Uh, uh, Dr. Ford's uh, uh, letter was made public. Uh, then uh, we've had some comment about why we didn't investigate uh, Ramirez. Uh, when I learned of uh, Ms. Ramirez's allegations, I acted immediately to investigate them, unlike our Democratic colleagues, some of whom sat on her story and apparently conducted their own private investigation rather than share it with the committee. Mr. Chairman, excuse me for interrupting, but could we have order? And now some of Cory Booker's words. I say now, before Dr. Ford's charges came up, I say very sincerely that I think that the way this process was run was a sham. I use that word, sir. And it was because we were evaluating someone for the highest court in the land with seeing such a small part of his relevant work product. I didn't understand how so much of his writing, uh, approximately 90% of his relevant work product was not even being seen by this committee and controlled by a process that was so broken, so partisan. And then, sir, I violated the rules that you put forward in this committee, willfully and knowingly and accepting the consequences of that. I've now been in numerous caucus meetings where politics has not been discussed where what has been done was the most, some of the most eloquent speeches I've heard in our caucus meetings from my colleagues about issues of sexual assault, issues of rape. I've heard colleagues read letters that had been written, not by a Democrat or Republicans, but by Americans who are concerned about this issue. This is not a partisan moment for our country. Sir, this is not about partisanship. When someone has the, the courage to speak to one of the most powerful bodies in the land, what did she say? She shared a raw and visceral, visceral, incredible, a profoundly powerful testimony with this committee in the world, and she was believable. I believe her. She told us of her indelible memory, using words like seared into her memory, speaking to brain chemistry in a way she spoke of uproarious laughter of Brett Kavanaugh and Mark Judge being pinned to a bed, being hand over the mouth, fearing for her life that she was terrified of being raped or accidentally killed. When asked by this committee what level of certainty, this wasn't, I don't know, I'm not 100% sure. She said, I am 100% certain that it was Judge Kavanaugh. Consistent with other folks who experience sexual violence, it was seared into her memory. She knows 100%, and that's credible because, credible because she knew him. She had interacted with him socially. 
before he attacked her. She didn't need to pick him out of a lineup of teenagers and some random attack. She knew him. Dr. Ford's credible testimony does not stand on its own. It is bolstered by significant corroboration. In 2012, 2013, 2014, 2016, she spoke of it. She told it to five people long before Judge Kavanaugh was nominated to the Supreme Court. She told multiple people that she had been sexually assaulted as a teenager. In some instances, she identified him specifically by name. In others, she described her attacker as a federal judge. Each of these individuals have provided this committee with their sworn statements attesting to these facts. We could have called those individuals to testify that this was not what I've heard, part of a coordinated attack, something to do with the Clintons and all the other allegations. This is somebody in the early years had talked about Brett Kavanaugh assaulting her. It's not some kind of political attack. This is consistent not only with her statements that have been corroborated, it's consistent with what we know about other people who have undergone sexual attacks. And beyond the corroboration of outside witnesses, Dr. Ford's attack, uh, account is also corroborated by independent facts. Facts, not opinions. The fact that Dr. Ford identified Mark Judge and P.J. Smith as others who were friends of Kavanaugh and present at the gathering is corroborated. It's also corroborated in Judge Kavanaugh's own calendar as we've seen. Judge Kavanaugh documented a gathering on July 1st, 1982 that included Mark Judge, P.J. Smith and a reference to alcohol. Dr. Ford testified that shortly after the assault, around six to eight weeks later, in her estimation, she ran into Mark Judge at a local grocery store and that he seemed very uncomfortable to see her. In his book, Wasted, Tales of a Gen X Drunk, Mark Judge described working at a local grocery store in the summer of 1982. It's all consistent. The circumstances surrounding her, upcom her, her coming forward to this committee also support her. First, she made contact with elected representatives before Judge Kavanaugh was even nominated. This isn't some political hit job. Before he was even nominated, she came forward with this testimony. Second, she submitted to a lengthy, intrusive, emotional, as she said, polygraph record. We didn't call for the polygraph tester to sit before her so we could question them. The report concluded that she was truthful and now a part of the committee's record. Third, number three, she reportedly called for an FBI investigation into her claims, fully understanding that a false statement to the FBI could subject her to criminal penalties. We all know what it means when you get a call from a committee staffer, or partisan in this case, versus when you get a call from the FBI. Worth lying to them is a felony. That is a powerful difference between a committee investigation and an FBI agent interviewing people, chasing after facts, pulling on the loose threads that have been evident in, Doc, in Judge Kavanaugh's record. And fourth, she came forward publicly despite knowing she would face harsh public scrutiny, threats, relentless invasions of privacy, that her life would be forever altered. We've heard a lot about the effect on Judge Kavanaugh, which is real and not exaggerated. 
but the effect on her as well and what she had to submit to by coming forward and making that courageous testimony. Now, Judge Kavanaugh's testimony, regardless of the alle these allegations, it stands in sharp contrast to Dr. Ford's testimony. First, Judge Kavanaugh has everything to lose should these allegations be fully investigated and proven true. Everything to lose. And that's why I don't think he wants a full investigation. Second, he has given numerous opportunities time and time again to call for an FBI investigation, call for an independent investigation to clear his name. But he's refused to do so. If I was in the balance and was being accused of things that I knew were lies, I would be demanding every bit of evidentiary investigation possible, not just the FBI. I'd be calling for independent investigators. I'd be calling on every loose thread, but he hasn't. He's refused to call for this committee to hear even live testimony from witnesses that could corroborate his story or the doctor's. Third, his testimony and claims regarding his drinking habits and behavior in high school and college beyond have been contradicted by so many people. His statements have, have just proven to be not true. Judge Kavanaugh's freshman college roommate, James Roach, has said that he was frequently incoherently drunk and that he became aggressive and belligerent when he was drunk. But that's not the only one that said this. Liz Swisher, Judge Kavanaugh's friend from Yale College, to whom he referred to numerous times, said it's not credible for Judge Kavanaugh to say that he has no memory lapses in the nights that he drank to, to excess. And I'll tell you this, Mr. Chairman, Lynn Brooks, who said she did not want to come forward, another friend from Yale, and showing that this is not partisan, she is a Republican, Mr. Chairman, she did not want to come forward, but last night, after listening to his testimony, was so offended by his lies that this is what his friend from Yale, a registered Republican, said. There is no doubt in my mind that while at Yale, he was a big partier, often drank to excess, and there had to be a number of nights he does not remember. In fact, I was witness to the night he got tapped into his fraternity and was stumbling drunk, and he was in a ridiculous saying really dumb things. And I can almost guarantee that there is no way that he remembers that night. This is a registered Republican who did not want to come forward until he heard the lies of Judge Kavanaugh. Brooks said last night in an interview that there were multiple emails and texts circling amongst her classmates about how Kavanaugh was, quote, lying to the Senate Judiciary Committee in his testimony. That's from a Republican who did not want to come forward until she witnessed those lies. Judge Kavanaugh's testimony yesterday also mischaracterizes what three other people Dr. Ford indicated were present last night. He told us, as his exonerating evidence, kept mentioning three names over and over again. Judge Kavanaugh repeatedly said that four people who knew Dr. Ford, who Dr. Ford said were present at the gathering, where she was sexually assaulted, said it didn't happen. That's just patently untrue. Mark Judge said, I have no memory of this alleged incident. This is not, it did not happen. P.J. Smith said, he has no knowledge of these allegations. That is not, it did not happen. Leland Kaiser has said through her attorney, she has no recollection of being at a party or gathering where Kavanaugh was president. That is not, it did not happen. In fact, Leland Kaiser has said, 
She believes Dr. Ford. The only person who has denied the event has taken place, who said it did not happen, is Judge Kavanaugh. This nation now is watching, not in a partisan way. We just saw one Republican so offended because she knows Kavanaugh. This is not Democrats and Republicans watching. This is Americans watching right now to see what this body will do. This isn't about politics or partisanship. I, I will forever remember what Dr. Ford said when she came before us. She said she was performing her civic duty. She wasn't trying to destroy a man. She was a courageous, heroic woman telling her truth of sexual assault and sexual harassment. This is what was done to me, she said. Many of my colleagues yesterday said they found Dr. Ford credible. But to confirm Judge Kavanaugh, you would have to say not only that you don't believe her, Dr. Ford, but that you are so certain this didn't happen that you're willing to force a vote now without any further investigation. At best, this means you th think somehow she was confused, that she doesn't really know what happened to her. Even though yesterday she told us that she remembers Brett Kavanaugh covering her mouth, seared into her memory, expressing fear at the time that he might accidentally kill her. She told us details from 2012, 13, 16, and 17, told to a therapist, to her husband. And so this is where we are in the United States of America right now. This is not a partisan moment. This is a moral moment in our nation. We do not have to have this vote today. We can correct from the mistakes of the past in this nation. There are millions of people, men and women, survivors of sexual assault, who are watching this body of powerful people and what will happen. This toxic culture, this pernicious patriarchy in this country has to stop. It's real in this country and people are suffering and they're watching this body right now. Children abused, watching what powerful people in religious institutions, how they sweep it aside, deny, attack. People in corporations or news media outlets who were abused and harassed for years. And their testimony, their truth was swept aside, belittled, they were attacked, they were vilified, they were followed by investigators. Millions are watching this body and how we act. Do we rush to a vote? Will we brush aside a credible witness's testimony? Will we belittle and attack credible testimony? Will we ignore credible testimony? Will we listen? Will we believe? In the United States of America right now, there are dark corners of our culture. The Center for Disease Control reports one out of every three American women, one out of three American women will experience some form of sexual violence. One out of six men, 60% of them go unreported. Mm -hmm. And there are those right now watching this group of powerful people. How will we deal with a privileged man? A seat on the Supreme Court is not an entitlement. Just because you went to Yale Law School or were the captain of your basketball team, it, this is not, the Supreme Court is not an entitlement. And, and Mr. Chairman, I'll tell you this, this is not a court of law. We're not saying that this man is guilty of what he said. The question is, is do we know enough now to delay this? Or are we gonna rush to put someone on the Supreme Court with this cloud hanging over them? I, I, I cannot stomach 
that we are going to move forward, that we are going to say to women across this country, that say to men across this country. I think that question. And, and I'm going to finish. I think that question you just asked is a good place to stop. Sir, I, I will stop with this. I, I will stop with this. With respect for this committee and respect for you. I cannot sit here. I cannot participate in what I know history is going to look back as a dark moment again. In the same way we look back at the Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas trials, I cannot participate in that. I conclude my remarks, sir. We should not brush aside her comments. We should not belittle her testimony. We should listen to her. We should listen to women. And we should thoroughly investigate this before moving forward. To do any other thing is to diminish the truth, diminish the issue of sexual harassment in this country, and to again relegate ourselves to what I believe is a dark, dark element of our society. Part of that ultimately persuasive dialogue today. Now, we wait. I'm Angie Corro. This is the broadcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Lastly, in the broadcast today, I want to address and assist anyone among the many who've been traumatized anew with all this Kavanaugh coverage. It only tears open the wound to see a shouting, angry, vicious man assert his power all over again, evading the truth, relying on his outstanding academic and jock credentials. You know you're out there and we know you're hurting. Let me bring you this conversation with Dr. LaShonda Knowles. She's at Resilience, a sexual assault survivor assistance service in Chicago. I know you're a busy doctor, and I appreciate your joining us today. Thank you. Well, thank you for reaching out. I, I know this has been really difficult, and I imagine the circles go out many ways beyond just people who've been traumatized by sexual assault. It's anyone that they've talked to, anyone who loves them. Can you give me an idea? Have you been seeing an upswing in calls or, or, you know, any agitation in your clients that tells you that this is having an impact beyond the hearings themselves? Yeah, we have. But I think it first starts because we're a rape crisis center. It starts within the organization. Just thinking about um, people who work here, a lot of times they have been traumatized and that's what brings them to this work. So yesterday during the hearing, I mean, we found ourselves having to take care of each other because we know that trauma exists amongst our staff. So today, um, coming into work, I mean, I had a lot of voicemails, people who this whole situation is just stirring up a lot of feelings. A lot of people are remembering a sexual assault that happened that they tried over the years to forget about. I mean, people are reaching out and talking about it and wanting to have conversations and wondering, you know, in the midst of this, how do I even take care of myself? Because I haven't really dealt with this before. But hearing, you know, her talk about the whole situation is making me want to talk about my experience more. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we've seen definitely, you know, more people reaching out for our services because of what's happening in the media. 
you know, I, I don't know if this is what you perceive, and I'm sure you've been too busy to sit down and watch hours and hours of testimony. But based on my own mm-hmm. experience, the reactions that I have seen to me have almost been divided into this person understands sexual trauma and these people who are scoffing at her words probably haven't been exposed to sexual trauma. I think there's a special kind of knowledge that comes when it's touched your life that your sense of when someone speaks the truth is very different. Of course, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, well, she's lying. How could she remember that long ago? But when it hits home for you and when you do this work, you understand the neurobiology of trauma. You understand, you know, how the brain works and why someone may not even disclose after they're sexually assaulted the reasons and factors that go into that, just not being believed, feeling like, you know, this person is someone of authority. So how will a person believe me or just being afraid to disclose something that they, you know, may not know a lot about, but the expertise that she has around just trauma itself, I think is very helpful. And I feel like she communicated that well to the public as far as the stages and phases that a trauma survivor encounters after an assault. I know, doctor, that it's important to respect whatever a trauma survivor says that they need. You have to arrive at their truth first. If you were to see a benefit in making a case to a survivor that despite what they may have seen, despite what they're afraid of, that disclosure might be of help to them? How do you make that case? And what help could it be to them to disclose? You know what? So we just always leave it up to the survivor. We always leave it up to survivor. And that's from, you know, when they decide to go to the hospital to get a rape kit done. You know, as far as bringing detectives in, you know, we give them options as far as going to counseling services, you know, disclosing you know, to a police officer and pressing charges, we always leave that up to a survivor because a lot of times, you know, they just don't know at that point if it's a good idea or not. And they have their reasons, you know, why. So we don't ever force our survivors to do that. We always give them options and really talk about, okay, if you went this way, what are you afraid of happening? What do you feel like will happen? What would that mean for you in addition to your family if you did that? So we always, you know, we are client center agency, so we always leave those decisions up to survivors that we work with. And if I were a member of someone's family, if someone in my family or my beloved circle had suffered a trauma, what might I expect them to show this week in response to, you know, how public this has been and in response to how Dr. Ford has been treated? What should I be looking out Mm -hmm. for on their behalf? So they may just want to talk. They may just want you to be around. They may want you to support them. They may want to keep busy. I mean, it could look different for different people, you know. Everybody who has been assaulted is not, you know, taking advantage of counseling services. But I guarantee you a lot of people who are, they are reaching out to their therapist and having these conversations and talking about how all of this is impacting them. But for others who are not, you know, some people just want to talk and be supported. Some people need to know, you know, in this moment, how do I ground myself? How do I continue to do my daily work and have all of these other things to be a barrier for me. You know, Mm -hmm. is this forcing me to disclose in my workplace? Because, you know, my supervisor doesn't know that I'm a survivor. So 
when I'm when I'm put up against these situations, how do I even handle this in my workplace? You know, is it a time that I need to disclose to my supervisor and let them know that, hey, I may need to take a mental health day because this is overwhelming for me and I'm not able to concentrate. So people right now are handling it different, but what people need right now is just to be heard and they need a space to talk and they need education around how right now they can take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I can imagine it's overwhelming to to want to help so much that you you might overstep as as someone who's trying to be supportive yeah. that you can try to push a survivor into something they don't want to do. Yeah. What do you avoid doing? Yeah, because a lot of people don't know like how to help a survivor, you know. They don't know the questions to ask and that's something that we do do here at Resilience. You know, we provide a lot of services for loved ones because they come here and they want to know, okay, you know, my partner was assaulted. What are some things that I could be doing at home? What are some questions that I can ask my partner that I won't be overstepping their boundaries? So things like, you know, what do you need? What do you feel like you need from me? What are some things that I should be doing, you know, for you? Or what don't you want me to be doing for you right now? So the only, you know, way you can get that question answered is to really ask the survivor what they're needing. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm guessing... Yeah, we can assume that they want to be, you know, around us or whatever, but it just depends on what they need in that moment. Mm-hmm. Understood. You know, I have to, I, I'm impressed that you changed, when I say you, I mean your organization changed the name from Rape Victim Advocates to Our Resilience. I just think that just speaks volumes to me. Can, can you explain that yeah. choice? Yeah, definitely our clients, of course, are very resilient. You know, the clients we see here, they have been through a lot. Um, of course, this was a, a kind of a hard decision to make because we've been rape victim advocates for 44 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, rape victim advocates is pretty straightforward, you know, especially for survivors if they're looking for services. They know that when, you know, they Google search rape, we pop up. So that's a good thing about what our name was. And, you know, some people right now have to, you know, kind of search more to find us. But, you know, um, we thought about it and, you know, rape can look different to, you know, different survivors. You mm-hmm. know, some people don't even um, name their experience rape. So thoughts like that went into changing the name, but resilience speaks volumes to who our clients are, what they represent, and how they have been handling their assault sometimes for years and years on end that when they come in here, it could be 50 years that have passed and they come here and they tell the story for the very first time. And as a therapist, my question is always, what have you been doing for so many years to take care of yourself? Mm -hmm. What has been happening that you have been able to just exist? exists because it's been so many years and you have been plagued by complex trauma. So that's my first question to survivors, you know, who come here where it's been such a long time and just really commending them on the courage that they have to come forth and talk about it. Mm-hmm. I, I want to ask one last question of you, and that's to our listeners or to the viewers of the hearings, which have been really difficult to watch sometimes. If you were to speak directly to someone out there who has never sought help, who's been the victim of assault or a completed rape or, or whatever, 
what would you say to them to urge them to, to make that reach out in a quiet, private way? What, what case can you make to them? Yeah, I would say, you know, go at your own pace. You know, reach out to a local rape crisis center in your area. Just knowing that everything is confidential, you know, having that space to talk about what's happened to you, you owe that to yourself. You know, your therapist will believe you, even if nobody else have believed you, your therapist will believe you. What happened to you was not your fault. People don't ask to be assaulted at all. It's not your fault what happened to you. Reach out for help so that you can live your best life. I am so glad I got hold of you today, and I'm so glad you were able to make the time for us. Dr. LaShawn Denals, thank you so much. Thank you. LaShawn Denals at Resilience. That is a wrap on today's broadcast. I could not be more relieved that Brad and Desi will be back in the studio for the next go-around. I'm Angie Cuero of In Deep, signing off. Until we talk again. Good luck, world.